This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, websites. Websites. Love them or hate them, they're here to stay. This fad isn't going anywhere, mm. which is why we want to tell you about Squarespace. They're the people who help you make a website so you can have a website. Uh, they give you tools that you need to claim a, dom- a domain, sell online, market your brand, and see who is coming to your website so you can, I don't know, so you can have that knowledge for yourself. Uh, you can care for it and keep it and love it and use it. I literally uh, have ever you... done that with the Overdue website to find yeah, out like yeah. why people are coming to our <laughs> Yeah, and like show. do we did, is it actionable? Not for us, <laughs> not really, but it is nice to know. Yeah. And it is actionable for other people. Anyway, Squarespace gives you award-winning designs, uh, world-class engineering, beautiful templates, and powerful e-commerce tools that help make you whatever help you make whatever <laughs> kind of website it is that you want to make. Uh, they have drag and drop tools and templates that were designed by cool people and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And you got 24 seven award winning customer support so you can fix it if you break it. If that sounds good to you, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10%. Squarespace. Website time. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Welcome to our book podcast. Welcome back. We're back. We're here. Through the through the miracle of time, we rec- we have not experienced the show the way you have this last week. We recorded an episode <laughs> early. We recorded our, our MoonQuest episode early because we had stuff going on. Maybe that's what it is. Yes. Maybe every time we go more than seven Gregorian days between <laughs> recording podcasts, I feel like it's been months. Yes, correct. It, it feels like we are learning how to podcast again. We're baby. So I don't remember. I don't remember how to do it anymore. Okay. So when for our book podcast, where one of us every week reads a book that we've never read before and tells the other person about it, tells you about it, we have some laughs, we have some cries. Uh, we'd find out a little bit about ourselves yeah. and about about you mm-hmm. somehow at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I don't remember how to do it anymore. So if this one is bad, I'm sorry that it's bad. Okay. I'm, we're all doing our best. I think it'll be fine. We should probably, a few minutes in now, talk about what book we are discussing this week. Andrew, what book yeah, did read, you read? I read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Marcus Twain. I don't... <laughs> is that his name? Yeah. Marcus... Well, his real name's Samuel Clemens, but mm. his pen name is Marcus Twain. Mark S. Twain. That's him. We mm-hmm. have previously discussed Mr. Twain's work on episode 059, uh, the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. Did you just pronounce the zero that I put into our episode numbers to make sure that they organize correctly when I'm looking at them in Windows Explorer? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, we also yeah, episode episode oh five nine. Go back and hit that one. Up. We also talked about Mark Twain recently on episode four seventy three when I read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer for the first time. 
Mm. Um, we <laughs> got an interesting response from one of our listeners, uh, Twitter user Ham Pineapple. Was oh, this about the one where we talked about how Mark Twain is problematic and we didn't even scratch the surface of all the different ways that he's problematic? Yeah, so I just want to yeah, give a good a shout cool out one. to Ham Pineapples on this one. Quote, listening to Overdue, and I hate how easy it is to discuss how problematic Mark Twain was and never even dip into the man's, like, collection of 10 to 16-year-old girls. So I did look into this. Uh, there's an article in the Paris Review um, that was called Mark Twain's Disturbing Passion for Collecting Young Girls. Seemed to collect them like Pokemon. He did. He called them his angel fishes. And it mostly... Well, that sucks. Yeah. That might, it, you could stop there and this would be pretty bad. Yeah. And there was, you know, from everything I read in that article and a few other sources, there's no evidence of, uh, like, you know, explicit abuse of any kind. It was mostly a as reported anyway just a gross thing to do um yeah so mark twain what are we doing with him what are you doing marcus this just we're gonna dig into the controversy around this book specifically but it felt appropriate to just add to the like what are we doing with mark twain catalog as we come into this episode um, this book you have not read before, Andrew. I read, right? I read as a kid. You have, oh, you read Huck as a kid. Yes, yes correct. Um, somehow we we arrived at this like inverse relationship to Mark Twain in our adult <laughs> lives. Um, and this book follows Tom Sawyer. Um, it was published in. It follows the book Tom Sawyer. Yes, it follows the character Huckleberry. Hey, Finn. good one there. Yeah. Um, Words. He took some time to write it. It was he was drafting it from like 1876 to 1883. Um, kind of lost interest in it, kind of mid draft, which is fine. I mean, it, it has a um, the the story can be broken up into component parts pretty easily so i can definitely see how you could walk away from it and then come back to it and just be like okay i'm tired of this thing where he's like traveling with these two bums who are grifting everybody i guess we're going to start a new part of the book now and it, it sounded like he also was going to turn it into a, a kid grows up autobiography quote unquote autobiography i think was the the title he was giving it and then as he came back to it, his focus in both of these books is on like depicting, you know, his youth or the youth of the people he knew and his kind of like interest in characters with that voice. Hmm. Um, and so he revised it to focus more on the vernacular voice, which I'm sure we'll talk about because it's a shift to the first person vernacular of American English in the South. Um, did you see, Andrew, that it was, uh, there was some delays related to the printing of the original run of this book because someone snuck a naughty illustration in Ooh, what happens like a college paper where your roommate sneaks a cuss word into your opening statement yes there was one uh image of uncle silas in the original illustrations that uh he's talking to huck i think aunt sally is with him is that her name Mm-hmm. And he just uh, his crotch is uh, hanging out. His crotch <laughs> is there, and you're aware of it. And apparently, like so, any, it's anecdotal. Anywhere from two hundred and fifty to three thousand copies made it to print, um, and they had to stop it and fix it. But this was after I mean, some 
But, Do any of those copies survive? Yes. I've got, they've got to be extraordinarily valuable. Uh, yeah, one article I found put them in the tens of thousands of dollars to find the Uncle Silas crotch shot illustrations. <laughs> the, Uncle Silas, the Uncle Silas money shot version of Huckleberry. Oh God. <laughs> Just, you know, things that might happen when you're making a book. Um, it came out 1884 in the UK, United States 1885, and it was pretty. It was popular and successful, but it was also challenged from the jump. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot this episode about like how and why it is frequently on the list of banned books here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were outrage. There were outrages against it from the beginning. Reviewers calling it, or you know, this is a librarian calling it. Uh, the veriest trash, uh, mostly <laughs> Same, about the depictions of like Huck as this like uncouth boy, and there, we we talked about some of this with Tom Sawyer as well. This like what Twain was writing with humor and an attempt to depict boyhood as he saw it. Everyone else was like, "How dare you have children yeah, talk this I, way?" This quote from Louisa May Alcott. Mm-hmm. who says that if Twain, uh, quote, could not think of something better to tell our pure-minded lads and lasses, he had best stop writing for them. Huh. I think Twain's response to that would be that maybe he wasn't necessarily writing for that audience. He he wrote but, a, a sarcastic reply to the Brooklyn Public Library. He said, I wrote Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn for adults exclusively, and it always distressed me when I find that boys and girls have been allowed access to them. The mind that becomes soiled in youth can never again be washed clean. I know this by my own experience, and I cherish an unappeased bitterness against the unfaithful guardians of my young life who not only permitted but compelled me to read an unexpurgated Bible through before I was 15 years old. None can do that and never draw a clean, sweet breath again on this side of the grave, he said. (laughs) So he, and what, is it in, I don't know if it was in the edition that you read, Andrew, there's like a quote in his intro that says, do you have it? So I've got, I've got a notice about dialects. Okay. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. In in this book, a number of dialects are used to wit the Missouri Negro dialects, the extremist form of the backwoods Southwestern dialect, the ordinary Pike County dialect, and four modified varieties of this last. The shadings have not been done in a haphazard fashion or by guesswork, but painstakingly and with the trustworthy guidance and support of personal familiarity with these several forms of speech, I make this explanation for the reason that without it, many readers would suppose that all these characters were trying to talk alike and not succeeding. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to know what your experience of reading the dialect was like when we get into it. Um, I, w- I was going to share the quote where he's says persons attempting to find a motive in this narrative will be prosecuted persons attempting to find a moral in it will be banished persons attempting to find a plot in it will be shot that's a jeez <laughs> well that's that's, that's a another little... thing that he said yeah <laughs> uh so this you know there's been long debate about this book and its value there we will talk about the ending of the book apparently hemingway didn't like the ending I think I didn't like the ending. Ralph Ellison, among other folks, thought that there's at least you know power and value in the ending, um, but you might have to get through the parts of it that you don't like anyway. It's it's not it's a yeah we can talk about I guess we'll talk about it at the end yeah <laughs> which makes sense for talking about the ending of the book I I think it 
I'm not saying it is without value. Like I can appreciate mm. what it's doing, but it also undercuts a bunch of other stuff and it feels like it's from a completely different book. So yeah, it wasn't, wasn't my fave. Sure. Um, and we just, I think folks come into reading this book or talking about this book also from it being what is on that short list of the first great American novels for various reasons. Um, Why you guys say it like that though? Because I was, Why I was trying you, to, who's what, like what, person are you envisioning saying it like that oh that's well what's the sort of literary gatekeeper character who you're playing when you put that voice on so i was about to read a quote from Ernest hemingway so i think like a guy who fancies himself to be like Ernest hemingway but like, not actually Ernest hemingway no like a guy okay that's important just teaches at a prep school but he thinks for sure that if he had had to go to World War One, he'd be Ernest Hemingway. He and he's got like the two thirds of a novel in his desk that if he could just 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 try a little harder, yeah, yes, he'd be hailed as Hemingway esque. It would be the next great. And this novel. guy has one of those like Target like quote blocks on his coffee table that is this quote from Hemingway all modern Mm -hmm. literature comes from one book by Mark Twain called Huckleberry Finn it's the best book we've had all American writing comes from that there was nothing before there has been nothing as good since and I bet that uh who maybe um Herman Melville would be like hey what's up (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe I wrote some stuff Um, Melville was a little later wasn't he I don't know. I don't think he. I think Moby Dick was before Huck Finn. Oh, was it really? I thought I was thinking it was early 1900s, but it's been a very long time oh, since no. you took like eight months to read Moby Dick. No. <laughs> oh, geez, 1851. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in Hemingway's defense, oh, long parts of Moby Dick are just a whaling manual. Okay. Not really a book at all. So this this quote taken specifically at a as a dig at Melville is way more successful than perhaps. <laughs> Taken at its <laughs> service value. Well, the other the other part of that Hemingway quote is him complaining about how he didn't like the ending. Oh, sure. <laughs> Which is, if you must read it, you must stop where Jim is stolen from the boys. Uh, that is the real end. The rest is just cheating. Huh. You're right. You're right. He did say that, too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the discussion of jim and some of the controversy around the book as it stands you know here in in contemporary society is probably best with a a bit of framing of the narrative itself so maybe we take a break and then come back to set the stage with the book sure cool craig help i don't have any gifts for my dad or my grads oh man here in in dad and grad season dads and grads love gifts they do you know what else i bet they love rhyming and books (laughs) yeah people love to get books as gifts me myself included and uh, some of those books have made their way onto this show but if you andrew or any of our listeners are in fact in the need of a great gift for your dad or your grad or anybody your brad Who knows? I want to tell you about Chronicle Books. They produce such a wide array of books, games, journals, and puzzles that I know you'll find something for anyone on your list, including your dads and grads and brads. There's Dolly Parton Storyteller. There's I Know This to Be True, which is a collection of folks like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Simone Biles, and Gloria Steinem sharing stories. Uh, 
and and answering a bunch of questions about their lives. There's books on architecture and design. There's uh, fiction and classic tales collections. They've got that Snoop Dogg cookbook that I talked about last time. You got From Crook to Cook, Platinum Recipes from the Boss Dog's Kitchen. Why have you not bought this for your dad yet? I wonder. From grad to dad. (laughs) Yeah. An American tale. Uh-huh. Chronicle books are sold not just in bookstores. You'll find their books on store shelves of all kinds all over the world and at chroniclebooks.com. And once you start looking for Chronicle books, you can't miss them. They're everywhere. Chronicle books are available anywhere <laughs> books are sold. But if you go to chroniclebooks.com, you'll get 20% off when you enter promo code OVERDUE at checkout. That's OVERDUE at checkout on chroniclebooks.com. Dad's grads looking for books. So last we left these children, Andrew, as I recall from the book I read a few weeks ago, they had gotten a bunch of money from a man who died or Mm -hmm. he bare he found treasure and then he died. I don't remember. They got the money, though. And there was some, like, there was some tension between Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn about Huck's, like, entry into polite society. Yeah, right, because Huck was going to get adopted by this widow, and she was going to make him all civilized with an S instead of a C. So how does this book pick up that threat? This book picks up with Huck basically chafing against this new existence that has been imposed upon him but also sort of kind of getting by um it it picks up where tom sawyer leaves off uh huck is sometimes hanging out with tom like the 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 only bit of this beginning part where tom really factors in is he starts this like gang of like bandits who are supposed to like take everybody's stuff and kill everybody but then you know Tom Sawyer is a big believer in kayfabe, so oh. he really he acts the part, but he's not actually going to kill anybody or take their stuff. Okay. And Huck does get frustrated with this eventually because he's like, this is all fake and stupid, and I'm not interested in this anymore. So he kind of drifts away from the bandit gang Okay, with all the little boys in it. Tom's, the impression of Tom Sawyer I get from this book is not good. I'm mostly annoyed with him when he shows up because he seems like he leads a life of privilege that has no real adventures or stress in it at all. Yeah. As I was reading, it's not as interesting as what else is in this book. As I was reading some like comparisons between the characters and trying just to like ground myself for this discussion. Like a lot of people were pointing out that like they both kind of ideal, they, they admire, maybe not idolize, but they admire the other for what they lack. Um, Yes. But that what, Tom lacks isn't much. <laughs> really. What Tom lacks is real adversity. Yes. Tom's whole thing is manufacturing adversity for him to rise up against, which if I, I can't think of a better example of of like mm-hmm. adventure tourism or I don't know yes. what you want to call yes, it. But like a- it's 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 very much he's like dis- he is deciding to live in this world where he has to struggle for stuff, quote unquote, because he doesn't actually need to. Yes. Because he has his every need is taken care of. And in, at least from the perspective of 
a young boy in this society in this time period. Yes, and and in the context of the last book, that is a useful character that you can put into scenes like Sunday school and grammar tests and, you know, chores and you can poke fun at and satirize and like point out hypocrisies uh, as Twain was wont to do. But it doesn't yeah, like it, it's not it's not to say that you can't have interesting story beats yeah, come from yeah. a character whose basic needs are all being met. It's just <laughs> like, when you have them compared to Huck Finn, who is not in that category, it seems a little trivial. Yes. All. Well, and yeah. OK, so so where does this book leave Huck after he ditches the boys? So he's you know, he's he's being brought up by this widow. He's kind of sort of learning to adapt to his new life and then his deadbeat dad shows back up. Ah. Uh, Pap. Pap. Old Pap comes back. Okay. Because Pap has heard that Huck has some money. Yeah. And Huck having seen, you know, a sign that Pap had been kind of hanging around for the first time in a while has gone to the local judge and gotten the judge to like take all of his money and stuff so he doesn't have anything to give to Pap. But Pap essentially kidnaps Huck. Like there, there is a court case where the widow and Huck's dad are both like fighting for custody of him, basically. And the book makes a point of saying, you know, it's a new judge. He doesn't really know the community, and so he's like, well, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't know the situation very well, but it does seem like you should be with his his real dad. Yeah. Right? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So that's a bad. That was a bad call. So they go off into like a cabin in the woods and Huck is forced to subsist there with his drunk dad whose mental state seems to be steadily deteriorating and he is not allowed to go anywhere and he's not allowed to do anything and on the couple of opportunities he gets to sort of contemplate escape, it is, you know, the stakes feel very high. Like Mm. if he gets caught, it's going to be bad for Huck. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it seems what's interesting as you describe it to me is like, if I were reading this for the first time, and even you telling it to me with me really having not read it in a good long time, like I don't necessarily know where Huck goes from here. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not like there's a story that we're getting to that we're like, oh, could we just get on to the next part? Or anything? he seems like he's in a real real thicky sticky situation. Yeah. So he resolves a sticky situation where his dad is like going out and getting drunk and, and he's doing it with a lot of predictability as alcoholics are want to do, okay. I think. And he decides to, with a wild pig that he finds in the woods, stage his own murder and run away from his dad. Kind of a callback. Sort of a callback, yeah. yes. Staging his own death. And so he, do- he does this and he, he goes away down the river. And he ends up on this little island and he waits it out as the other people in the community go around. They do this thing where they're riding around in a boat that's shooting a cannon because something about like the the like the noise or or the motion that firing a cannon makes will like make a corpse rise to the top of the river or something. Like they're trying they're <laughs> 
basically dredging the river for his corpse in a yes. weird way that I'm not. I didn't check out the physics of whether this works or not, <laughs> but that's what they're doing. And so Huck, you know, it, it is not quite uh, attending his own funeral, but he is attending his own, you know, missing, presumed dead search party effort. Okay. I guess. Okay. Okay. So, uh, well, actually, this is just funny because, like, comparing it to Tom, the. My immediate reaction to the Tom fakes his own death scene is like, boy, that was fun. Guess the community's moving on. Mm -hmm. And this is, I had to fake my own death so that I was not imprisoned by my father. Like, yeah, right. Okay. Okay, Twain. So, uh, so Huck does this. He's hiding out on this island. Uh, he figures he's going to stay here for a while and make a go, go of it. But he does discover a recently used campsite. And who does he run into but the widow's slave, Jim? Mm -hmm. And so this is a, I read the original version of the book, which does call Jim an N-word like all of the time. Yeah. Just like constantly. Yep. And that is, so I guess that's a, that's a good uh, place to start talking about this issue a little bit. I believe some newer issue, uh, some newer uh pressings of the book. I don't know why I can't find the word. Some newer editions of the book have uh, removed the N word and replaced it with slave, which I was like, there is a, and Susanna reminded me of this. I had not thought about it in a long time because it did happen a hot decade ago, uh -huh. but there was like a, uh, a daily show segment with uh, Larry Wilmore talking about this change and talking about how that's th those words are not, interchangeable no. like jim jim is running away he he is a he is presumed to be for the bulk of this book a runaway slave and that's something that huck wrestles with a lot because to huck's mind uh, jim is is property and there, there are a lot of nuances to that we'll talk about the nuances to that but that's the you know that's the society that this is coming from that's the that's the way that universally everybody in this book is thinking about Jim and other, other black people, other slaves. Um, but, but basically that, you know, Jim is running away from being a slave, but he can't run away from being an N word. That is, I, I, that is an approximation of, of Larry Wilmore's quote, which yeah. I think is interesting. And I can totally, I totally understand from the point of view of an American, like, it's like junior high to high school educator being like, I don't want to in my school, in my classroom of, you know, a lot of white kids. I don't want to have them saying the N word all the time because like, that's not a word we should be saying, but also there's, I don't know. Like the, the book is, is trying to play on, on racial relations a little bit is try it, it, it has something to say about how like Huck thinks about Jim and how other people in the book think about Jim. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling. Yeah. Point, so the there is tough. I found a there's a wealth of articles centered around that 2011 printing. Um, the publisher was called New South Books. Um, it was, well, that's I don't know where that came of, from. Already I'm kind of leery. I of believe <laughs> it was a, a guy from Auburn university, a professor who like spearheaded it. 
Um, is this like a moral panic thing where one person in one town did something and then the national media picked it up and made it out to be a bigger deal than it was? A or, little or bit, I think. There was there was an article in 2009 or 2010 kind of talking about it. That article gets mentioned in a bunch of different like larger pieces. It probably bubbles up into this New South Books version, which is the one that you talked about that replaced it with Slave. And then there's a whole rash of responses to it from a wide variety of people that are like, that's not the way, dude. Like, if you want to not teach this book because you don't, you either don't believe that there is a way to prepare a classroom for this uh, and and maintain a safe classroom environment that allows for exploration of this work, or you uh, don't want to, <laughs> like <laughs> that, and that's fine. Um, valid, yeah. That there's a lot of takes that I found that argue that, and they also argue like, listen, you're changing the work does does it it deprives it of value that that like Wilmore quote basically has. So I found yeah, there you go. Um, there's a Mother Jones article in 2011. This is Titania Kume interviewing a uh, an American lit teacher, a black man, Tad Scott, um, who talks as like if you could if you have to teach it, go ahead and teach it. Um, but recognize who was Huck Finn written for? He says at the time it was written for a largely white male population. Maybe a few women got it, but America right now is not white. It's multicultural. So American literature should probably reflect that. So he goes on to recommend you could also read some relevant Langston Hughes or Richard Wright. If your goal is to expose folks to Twain in high school, maybe you could just read the jumping frog story and then like move on. If you want to talk (laughs) about, um, you know, the narratives and books that center enslaved people, there are plenty of like slave narrative books that you could read. Um, mm-hmm. There's a pretty decorated Twain scholar, Jocelyn Chadwick, um, who wrote The Jim Dilemma. Um, and there's an article, an interview with her I found in, 2000, in the year 2000, where she s- suggests you should totally read this book, but you got to be prepared to back it up. And you could also read a book called Eola Leroy by Frances Harper that was published in 1892. It's one of the first novels by a black woman in the United States. And it also depicts slavery, focuses on a black family. But that depiction is still challenging, so you got to be ready for it. Uh, sure. But I, 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 I don't know. I, we were joking before we started recording that like we were going to come out of the spot and like, we will have the take. That saves it. We're gonna we're gonna figure it out. <laughs> I don't think that we. I'm sorry to break it to you, Andrew. I don't think that we will. I think that the 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 thing that you'd said about like you can discuss the issues that this book is bringing up without actually teaching this book. If if you yeah, if you'd rather avoid the like I I think it is as two adults discussing the book. I think it is. I I prefer to have it with, you know, as as originally presented, and then evaluate it within the context of its time, and and with the you know the the critical sort of body of of work that it that has arisen around it. Like I I value that stuff, and I think it is more interesting for our literature podcast yeah. to discuss the book in that context. But if you're in a high school and you're trying to teach stuff, like yeah, you could just you could talk about this without reading it. You could 
do something else like (laughs) there are other options that are available yeah you you could what you probably shouldn't do is watch the 1955 cbs tv adaptation of this book that completely Mm, that sounds rough in a lot of ways completely removed jim as a character lest it deal with the issue (laughs) sure (laughs) okay sure he's like the 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 you know the what's the whatever the word is for your secondary yes. protagonist like your do or do it uh-huh do attack you you know the your one do your duagonist your diglet agonist yes um mm-hmm. yeah or you could watch the 1975 abc version that has ron howard in it i don't think that they cut jim from that one wait was he he was huck was he, he was huck yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> dodged a bullet on that one wow <laughs> Um, there's a letter from the National Coalition Against Censorship in 2015 that uh, is arguing against a school actually not far from Philadelphia that had removed it from curricula saying of course it presents many challenges to students which are best addressed in the classroom and with the help of a teacher I would uh, I would supplement that as I bet a lot of teachers and you know educators who might be listening would say like but are those teachers adequately supported to make spaces where that work you know yeah, right happen. or are they trying to figure out how to teach huck finn while they also grade a million papers and buy their own toilet paper and yeah have barely have time to sit and think for two seconds well and and i read a number of you know not worth citing individuals on the pod because it's like a, a mix of like medium blogs and, and different things but like teachers writing about why they don't think that they're going to teach this because like they don't want to subject the few students of color in their class yeah. to this or something, you know, yeah, and, that's totally, and not even totally to the fine. work, but to other students who also might not approach a conversation with discipline. Right. Uh, well, and you know what? Guess who? Thankfully, I think a lot of kids grow out of this, but guess who is going to be on the playground, like edge lording yep. around yep saying the n-word and being like oh i'm just quoting the book that we're reading for like it it is it is kids who are in school correct it is little snotty white kids in school yeah like this is exactly how most of the people that i went to elementary or high school with would have reacted and would have used the book and you know what if you don't want to give those kids that ammo then fine yeah yeah um so if any of our listeners have like experience with how this has or has not worked for them we'd certainly i'd certainly just be interested to hear of it but i was pretty uh compelled by some of the arguments that i read in researching for the episode so um let's talk a little bit more about the story if you want sure so i guess we can put all the we put the n-word talk in its own little box and we've talked about it and now i'll just talk about jim yeah who is a runaway slave yeah (laughs) instead He's a black I mean, the, man the ver- in the 19th century in America. And yeah. the vernacular is is sometimes it's hard to tell like what is Twain like trying to accurately represent what would have happened at the time. Sometimes it does sort of seem like it's veering into minstrelry. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yep. Uh but you know, we don't we don't need to get any more into that than we have. I think there are there are other people who have talked about it more smartly and at more length than we are able to. So uh Huck and Jim meet on this island, they team up, and they are kind of having a good time adventuring with each other. Um they 
uh, grab a raft and start like making it down the river a little bit further. I think they're both like Huck. Once Jim enters the picture, I think Huck sees the the value in getting a little bit further away than I think he was maybe planning to originally, both to, to get away from his own father who was with the party on the cannon boat and also to, you know, with, with Jim get away from people who would just take him back to the slavery that he was in. Something that Huck struggles with a lot in this book is like being the kind of low down, no account guy who would, who would, help a help a slave run away you know mm. like it, it is equated many times with just like stealing property which is how jim is is viewed pretty much universally in this book as i think i alluded to earlier but like at the same time huck always comes down on the side of helping jim and recognizing his personhood and trying to help him get away like he's given multiple opportunities to like turn Jim in sometimes for monetary reward sometimes just to save his own skin and he never does it because he like as bad as he feels about being the kind of you know the the kind of rapscallion who would run away with somebody's slave he feels even worse when he thinks about the time that he and Jim have spent together and the you know, and the affection that Jim obviously feels for him and, and, you know, being this guy's best friend, basically. Yeah. And so it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting intersection of, of feelings that all Huck is having. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, there's some notes in Twain's biography of him growing up with an uncle, I think, who owned 20 people. Um, and then Twain later married into an abolitionist family. Like his father-in-law was a conductor on the underground railroad and stuff. And I, it sounds like what he's trying to depict is that like, uh, interesting that you noted that this is happening to Huck while he's like away from the society that he already felt distant from. And -hmm. he's like actively unlearning things that he's been taught by just being in the presence of someone else. It's not even like unlearning it because he is oh, always well, yeah, thinking fair about enough. it. It's just it's just like deciding to despite the way that that society would evaluate him for doing these things, like he is he is going ahead and doing it anyway. Hmm. Like he's helping Jim anyway. Hmm. So to the extent that they have sort of a place that they are going, they're going north with this raft to get Jim out of the south to a place where he can be free. Okay. Okay. Um and so that's the that's the sort of second stretch of this book after they get away from the part that's like Tom Sawyer epilogue, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so they have they have a few like river adventures and c- close calls. Like there's a lot of stuff in this book that is just them sailing down a river and talking about like different boats on the river and the way that you sail down a river. It doesn't get to like Moby Dick, like technical manual <laughs> styled stuff, but it is obviously drawn from Twain's own experience as, you know, a, a person who was on riverboats and, and did this kind of work for a long time. Sure. Um, the second major phase of the, or the third major phase, I guess I'll, I'd say of the book is they come along to this house on the river. Like they, they're aiming for this, uh, this particular like Northern city. And I think they bypass it in fog. Like they get briefly separated. Okay. And, uh, 
and past the city. And so they find this house um, and they stumble upon this feud between these two families, the Grangerfords and the Shepherdsons. Uh-huh. Um, kind of a Hatfield a, and McCoy. Sort of, it is a Hatfield and McCoy style blood feud where somebody... It started as like a property dispute, I think, and then someone killed someone, and then someone killed someone else, and in retaliation for that, and it is, it's the kind of thing that just goes on until everybody is dead. <laughs> fun, fun time. Fun. Um, they so, so Huck is is here. These people are obviously like cultured, or th- they are like noble to the extent that there's nobility. <laughs> That yeah. there's nobility. Yeah, like they, they have a bunch of like art in their house and like some stuff about like the, the like George Washington and the Lafayettes. Like they, they are steeped in the culture and history that existed in America, like not quite a hundred years. Okay. Oh, okay. The founding of America. You know what I mean? Like it's still a very young society yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but he. There are a lot of phases in this book where Huck is almost not a character insofar as he is not like shape actively shaping events most of the time. Like a lot of the time Huck is sort of, uh, he's like a Locky two and Mario 64. He's just there <laughs> holding the camera so we can see what's going on. Yeah. He, you know, if it, you we hadn't made a video buttons. game reference yet in this one. Yeah. You press the C buttons and then Huck, moves his and little Huck cloud and hovers around but sometimes he gets stuck on stuff or he gets like too close to the other characters and you can't and he's like inside somebody's face he's inside yes. Jim <laughs> and he's stuck in his geometry <laughs> uh, but th- so th- a lot of what we're seeing about this family and learning about this family is just kind of like Huck as dispassionate observer to the point where like people are having pretty in-depth conversations around him sometimes and just kind of not realizing that he's in there, which might just be a function of how society treated young people. Like they're kind of not to be seen or heard and you don't really think of them as people. So maybe you don't control what it is that you're saying in front of them. In those moments uh, is like, what is Huck's like first person narrator is he like thinking about what they're saying is he commenting on them or is he just kind of like relaying the information to the reader sometimes commenting on like you know if there's like a girl who's pretty or something (laughs) or if there's like art that makes him feel a way he talks about it a little bit okay there's this one there's a so one of the i think it's the uh the uh grangerford family is the one that he's staying with but they had a an artistically inclined daughter who died and she made a bunch of really sad, like goth sort of teen paintings. Hmm. And there was one that she was working on before she died. That was like a woman and she hadn't decided the position that the woman's arms were, were going to be in before she died. And so she had sketched like three different versions of the woman's arms and Huck says that the, the painting like bugs him because she looks like a spider. Cause she has like three different sets of arms. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like one that's like reaching up and one that's like clasped around her waist. And then one set that's just by her sides. <laughs> and she hadn't decided what the optimal arrangement for the arms was going to be. So she looked like the Vitruvian man, I guess. Is that the one <laughs> yes, with the, that's the one. <laughs> that guy looks like he's doing jumping jacks. Yeah. He's been, he got frozen in jumping jacks forever. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, so I I bring up Huck being a being a camera because it does he is kind of just observing this for for a while, but then at the end of the you know of the stretch of the book he passes a note basically from a from a Shepherdson to a Grangerford they're in a forbidden love oh boy these two people and this like she runs off and this sets off a you know the the logical end of the blood feud where one family sort of wipes out the other so the Grangerford's mostly, mostly whoa and Huck is very sad because he's befriended some of these people, but he kind of runs away. Mm-hmm. And these, there's another, there's a, in the earlier, like, Huck and Jim River Adventures portion of the book, like, there's another thing where they come upon this, like, wrecked ship, and there are these guys on it who are, you know, they're talking about, it's three guys, but then two of them are conspiring against the other one, and then we never see them again. Like, it, it is... I was waiting for the book to have like one big overarching plot other than like Huck and Jim river adventures. And it ends up being a bunch of like little vignettes with a bunch of characters you never like see or yeah, hear. Yeah. Okay. Again. Sure. So, you know, you got, you got bandits on the, on the river wreck. You've got the, uh, the fake Hatfields and McCoys here. And then after that, you move on to the next and I think longest stretch of book, which is about these two, Scheisser guys uh, who pretend to be a king and a duke. Mm. And Huck knows these guys aren't kings or dukes. Huck knows these guys aren't European royalty like they're pretending to be. They're just a couple of shysters who are trying to make a quick buck. Okay. And so for a while they are doing this and it seems fun. And then they're doing it and it seems sinister. And Huck is like, I would like to get shy of these two guys and not see them anymore. <laughs> That's an example of dialect, by the way. Okay, sure. Uh, does that does that work out? It does work out. Like I'm trying to decide which which like little subsections of the like there's this one part where they decide to put on a where the Duke and the King decide they're gonna put on a play, and the whole play is a Sham meant to get people in to pay 50 cents a head. And then you say, well, I know this place sucks, but what you're going to do is you're going to go tell all your friends that it was great and they're going to come here and won't we all together have a laugh at their expense? What? And so he gets two nights worth of people in here paying 50 cents a head. And then on the third night, everybody talks and is like, wait, we're all being had. But that third night is when you plan your escape with the money. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you don't stay around to be tarred and feathered and run out of town on a rail. Okay. So they're having... They're having... It's I don't. It's like adventures with the Duke and the King. And things seem kind of lighthearted until they land at this... They get close to a town and they meet this this young lad who's like rowing out to a who, to a steamboat to go somewhere else and he tells this whole story about like the the this person in town who's died and he's got these three daughters and he's left them a bunch of money and the duke and the king kind of shake him down for all the information they can get and then they go into town and pretend to be this dead guy's brothers so that they they can claim the inheritance oh no and take all the money from these three daughters and 
that's and and Huck is like this is this seem this is too much for old Huck fan. This is this is too scoundrelly for me. Uh huh. Is taking the money of these these three innocent women who have you know nothing. They've done nothing to anybody, um, and they are suffering a loss besides. So there's a very long bit where Huck is wrestling with his, with his conscience, and he does come clean to somebody. And at this point, he's starting to actively try to get away from the Duke and the King, but he can't quite shake them. And so, he, you know, he's lying to the mostly lying to like their victims and he's lying to them as he tries to get away from them. Um, and just as he thinks he's gotten away from them, they catch up with him and then they they embark on a string of bad luck and then they get to this town and they're like, okay, the the last thing we did that went really well for us was like the fake stage show yeah. thing. So we're going to run that con again in this town because it seems like nobody else has heard of it. But in this, like as part of their scheming, they... You know, they, they had, a, a, you know, a few pages, a few chapters back, they saw a clear picture and description of Jim as a runaway slave with a reward being offered for his return. Mm. Um, and so they turn Jim in before they, you know, go and they do their other scam. Okay. And Huck is, is upset about this because Jim is his friend. Yeah. Um, and this is. It is th- so that same empathy that Huck is able to extend to Jim. He is also able to extend to these two horrible guys because Uh-oh. he is trying to get away from them. But then when they finally do get, so Jim tells the the people who have like captured him the deal with these two guys, and then the word spreads that they're shysters, and so before they can pull this con everybody is on to them and so they are literally tarred and feathered and run out of town good for them they earned it good and but huck says well it made me sick to see it and i was sorry for them poor pitiful rascals it seemed like i couldn't ever feel any hardness against them anymore in the world it was a dreadful thing to see human beings can be awful cruel to one another so like still yeah like thinking himself that he is beyond redemption and this horrible person and he's like helping runaway slaves and he doesn't belong in polite society and is, you know, he's done wrong to this widow who was trying to help him. And he also hated the help that she was giving him because he's just, you know, by nature and nurture, he is not a good person, but also there's nobody, he doesn't hate anybody. Yeah. He can't. Yeah. He he can find it in himself to be to like feel for literally anyone that he runs into, whether it's Jim or whether it's these two guys who did like threaten material and physical harm to him on multiple occasions. Yeah, it's an interesting like it's not a moral code, but it's just an interesting mindset where and there's some of that in Tom Sawyer, too, where he just like he thinks so poorly of himself and and as you said like his own standing in society in as much as he believes he has any mm-hmm. that everyone's as good or better than huck finn from his yeah, perspective right. and mm-hmm. deserving of what goodness he can offer which is just like wild it's it's not it's like a 
I don't know. It's not quite the Tiny Tim thing, but it, th- there's an element. What's the, what's the Tiny well, Tim thing? Well, just the like he he has nothing, and he's so you know beleaguered, and the the world is so terrible for Tiny Tim. I mean, it is. It's like Tiny God Tim. God bless us, Tiny everyone. Tim did go around and lie to everybody all the time yes. about everything. If Tiny Tim was lying about his stupid illness that he had the whole time. But then secretly had a heart of gold. I guess it would be, he would be like Tiny Tim a little bit. What you mean, Huck? Yeah. Why? Yeah, I guess. I was just saying. If Tiny Tim, if Tiny Tim was faking his illness, but he wasn't doing it in a way that like hurt anybody. Okay, then I guess sure. Tiny Tim and Huck Finn would be sort of alike. Huck Finn does lie. To he does like to lie all the time. Yeah. I don't want to like <laughs> make out that he's an angel, but I did find his like radical empathy thing mm. to be interesting from a character who, in my like vague pop cultural consciousness, I thought of as the narrow narrow do well like Nelson Muntz. <laughs> friend of tom sawyer bart simpson yeah sure okay that makes sense to me that makes sense to me um and so it sounds like wait so what is he gonna do about the gym thing because now jim's gone so this is the bad last part of the book that just turns into a farce okay Um, so the he goes he goes to find jim and he gets swept up by this woman who's expecting a boy about his age to show up and has assumed that he is that boy. Mm. And he is really sweating having to tell this woman any, like any factual details about the family that she thinks he is related to because he doesn't know it. And then she says, Oh, you're Tom Sawyer. Perfect. And the whole thing's come full circle. Wait, when was the importance of being earnest published? (laughs) She's expecting Tom Sawyer to show up. And he's like, well, I can tell you about Tom Sawyer's family. I know some stuff. And then actual Tom Sawyer shows up and everything gets stupid. Okay, so everything gets really stupid. Oscar Wilde definitely ripped this off is what I'm saying. That's my thesis. I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay, great. I'm Bunburying. This is just Bunburying. Yeah. Uh, So Tom Sawyer shows up and is like, oh, hey, Huck. Yeah, I'll pretend to be some other Sawyer and you can be Tom and we'll just both hang out and hoodwink my aunt. This will be great. And we'll also free Jim. And this is notable that Huck does have a moment where he's like, well, Tom Sawyer is respectable and I've never, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good guy and I've never lost more respect for him than I did when he, Tom Sawyer of all people turned out to be the kind of person who would free a slave, you know, that's not the exact wording. The exact wording is a bunch of stuff that I don't want to be recorded yep. saying on my podcast yep. or to say in real life or under any circumstances ever. So Huck is still wrestling with the, how do I break these rules? Huck has decided I am going to free Jim and I'm going to continue to help him. 
But that is part and parcel of my whole thing where I'm irredeemably bad and it doesn't matter if I do bad stuff because I'm already bad. Okay. But this is Tom Sawyer who is, you know, he's adventurous and he's smarter than me and he's a good guy and I can't I can't believe he would do this. Huh. So file that away in your head. We'll explain it later in the last like two pages of the book where everything gets explained. <laughs> okay. So the rest of this book has been pretty high stakes so far. Yeah. It is Huck like trying to come clean to a 19 year old woman whose dad has just died about the two like horrible men who are pretending to be her family and trying to do the, he's trying to do the right thing. It's like, it's real stuff that's happening. Yeah. And Huck has nobody in the world. As far as he knows, like he is just kind of out on his own and nobody cares if he lives or dies except for, you know, his, his slave friend, Jim, Yeah, who kind of is in and out of the novel at these different parts. Like it, it does feel just as Huck is a camera a lot of the time, Jim can sort of run away and, and hide and not be part of the story when it is called for. Sure. Okay. Um, but, uh, but now Tom is Tom here. Sawyer yeah. show, then Tom Sawyer shows up and Huck is like, okay, we need to free Jim. Why don't we just figure out where they keep the key to the, you know, the hut that he's obviously in and undercover darkness. We go and we unlock the door and we free him and he, and we get away. And Tom is like, you stupid idiot, you complete and utter moron. Why would you have such a stupid idea? What we need to do is we need to get like these rusty pocket knives and we need to dig a hole underneath the shed and then we need to there. He is chained to a bed. And instead of lifting the bed up and slipping the chain off of the leg, we need to saw the leg off and we need he, Tom Sawyer just comes and he manufactures a bunch of steps that need to happen. And it adds at least three weeks to this entire deal. And then Tom is like, okay, well now to make this interesting, we need to write an anonymous letter that says that a bunch of stuff is going to go down so that a bunch of guys with guns come and hang out on the night that we're trying to free Jim and just to, you know, just to make it a little interesting. And this is happening for the last fifth of the book. It is so long. This thing with Tom Sawyer manufacturing conflict and Huck Finn having such low self-esteem that he doesn't think to challenge Tom on all the dumb stuff that he's making them do. And then on the night where they help Jim escape, Tom gets shot in the leg, <laughs> which he views as just a grand adventure. Yeah. Heck yeah. And then at the end of the book, Tom wakes up and Aunt Polly from Tom Sawyer shows up and everything is revealed. And then it's revealed that the widow died like some months before and freed Jim and her will. And so the only reason that Tom is doing this thing where he's freeing the slave is because Jim is free already. So Jim has been Wait. staying, has been like stuck in this hut. Wait, Tom oh. knew this? Yeah, I Tom didn't knew remember this. that. Ooh. Tom knew this coming up. And so to manufacture some adventure for him, Tom Sawyer, which is obviously the most important thing that this brat has ever thought of in the entire world, he has made Huck think that he is 
doing something that Huck perceives to be deeply like morally wrong and terrible. He has allowed another human being to languish in enslavement while the person who has like quote unquote caught him is sending out inquiries, trying to return him to slavery, like to the, you know, the, yeah. the more direct sort of slavery where, you know, to his, to his owner instead of just like the condition of being a slave, which is the one that Jim is still in. Uh, yeah. And it just, it made me, it made me so mad because the rest of the book is interesting and complex. And then it enters stupid, like little boy farce land when Tom Sawyer shows up with all his privilege and makes the book all about him. How does Huck feel about any of this? Huck is mostly just kind of along for the ride. Cool. He's as surprised as all of us to learn all the stuff that Tom knew at the end when Aunt Polly shows up. And I mean, I guess nominally stuff turns out okay because everybody in town thinks that Jim is Jim's an all right guy and he does ultimately get his freedom. And Aunt Sally, who is Aunt Polly's sister, has announced her intention to adopt Huck. And so leaving us Where's Huck's dad? Much like the much like the end of Tom Sawyer with this opportunity for huck to have a family after all where's huck's dad though huck's dad died when (laughs) they so in the river adventures segment they find they come upon this like hut that's floating in the river and they there's a dead guy in there and jim is like huck don't look at this guy it's bad luck or you know don't worry man and then at the end of the book it's like well you know this thing that happened three quarters of the book ago actually that huck that was your dad and he died whoa yeah yeah see this is the stuff i don't remember reading it so everybody's laboring under a bunch of false assumptions in the toward the end of this one and it made me kind of upset because i thought that it cheapened the other stuff that was happening in the book and i think that like there are many schools of thought about this. Yeah. Um, Reason.com, forgive, uh, for, <laughs> forgive me for citing Reason.com on my book podcast, uh, does, you know, does mention that the, you know, the critical opinion is that this part of the book where Tom Sawyer shows up kind of sucks or yeah. is commonly beheld to suck. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the article ends with uh, quote in Huckleberry Finn, Twain reveals in ugly detail the limitations of that adolescent mentality when confronting the reality of American race relations. Caught in his own solipsistic worldview, Tom not only is incapable of understanding Jim's suffering, he puts the slave in mortal danger to fulfill his own romantic notions of escape and daring do. Whoa. And so completely deconstructing his signature creation, Twain not only forces his readers to reevaluate a national icon, he embodies the American dialectic. That's a very uh, generous read there. I think it is also as well. But I, but, but if you're going to read but it, I will make that acknowledge argument. that. It's a way you could read it. There, the way I read it was that <laughs> it wasn't as good as the rest of the book, and it made me mad on behalf of all of the non-Tom Sawyer characters in the book. Uh, because everybody, every character in this book when Tom shows up is just a puppet for Tom Sawyer to manipulate with his little creepy kid hands, and I hate it. I found a, a, a Scientific American article um, by Maria Konnikova from 2012 who said... 
is Huckleberry Finn's ending really lacking? Not if you're talking psychology. And Konakova very deliberately... I'm not talking psychology, though. I'm talking, like, I read this book and I hated this part of it. <laughs> it's really fun because Konakova's like, listen, I'm not here to talk about the artistic merits of the book. I'm just going to make a fun little argument for the fact that, like, this is like when you knew some jerks in college and then you haven't seen them in a while, but then you meet up at a reunion and they start being jerks again and you fall back into peer pressure, like letting them be jerks because it's real. Like that type of personality, like slide and regression with people that have a big effect on you does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was a neat, like, yes, that's a thing. And certainly things that teenagers do a lot, but it definitely does not make for a cool ending to a book. That has not been about that at all the uh-huh. entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am fascinated by the alternate universe that of that the rest of that Hemingway quote that you uh, added on to my part, where it's like, "What if it just ends when Jim is gone?" Like that's a sad book. That's a sad book. Yeah, it's probably a better I mean, book. I don't know if he if he means like it ends after Jim gets captured or if it ends before Jim gets captured. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do they just get to go solving, like, dealing with the Duke and King in some way? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I was struck by when you were talking about the, like, Huck as Lockie 2, which is our new favorite thing that we're going <laughs> to... That's our take, if you're looking for the overdue take. that's the. I think that's the unique thing that we can bring to this. Yeah. The critical, the critical body of work and <laughs> analyzing this work. So is that I found Huck Finn is like Lockie too from Super Mario sixty. I found some snippets of reviews of the book from eighteen eighty five, and there's like ones that are good. There's ones that are bad. The ones that are bad thinks that the think that all of the attempts at humor are is gross and bad and low and rubbish. Um, but then there's one quote from the Atlanta Constitution that says the boys the, the boys point of view is never for a moment lost sight of. And the moral of the whole is that this half illiterate boy can be made to present with perfect consistency, not only the characters of the people who uh, the people whom he meets, but an accurate picture of their social life. And that that seemed to be what could make the various vignettes hang together of like mm-hmm. you've got this outsider kid Locky tooing through the American South and like meeting people and we reveal things about parts of society because he's just a kid. Sure. Which maybe, I don't know. You seem, you also seem to like, or to at least be engrossed by just Huck as a person. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So there's two more things you want to hit Tom Sawyer books. Oh God. Oh, the detective books. No, I'm done. I'm done talking about the book. I do wonder if we do need to read Tom Sawyer abroad and Tom Sawyer detective at all. I don't know if we do. I don't know if we do. Which have like bad TV spinoff energy to me. Yeah. Some real gas station <laughs> DVD like, energy. They're, they're both that like failed backdoor, the office pilot where like Dwight Schrute has a weird farm. Mm-hmm. But like maybe and if we do do either of those, I think we need to make it sort of a boys are back in town sort of because we're like talking about Tom and Huck again like they're back. 
Okay. Our, and our podcast, our podcast is the town, and they're the boys. They're back. That's true. And I think that's a that's a joke we can make. Great. Tune in for that joke when we make it sometime. I bet mm-hmm. we'll yeah. get there. Um. All right. You're you're done. You're done talking about the. I'm book. I'm done. I liked Huck except for the end, which I hated. Okay. Okay. And I think Huck the character is really interesting, but I don't like at the end of Huck's book that has his name on the cover where Tom Sawyer horns in and says, hey, it's about me. (laughs) I have my own book, but that's not enough for me, Tom Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. And that also, the ending is also cited in folks' critiques of the book's value. Like, it's not just the use of the N-word in the book that people object to in regards to, like... You mentioned it earlier, like there's some minstrelsy going on and just the ease with which that story wraps up due to everyone's favor. Boy Tom is not a point in the book's favor. I really think it's in spite of everybody's favorite Boy Tom. It's because another non-Tom character comes on the scene and reveals all this other stuff to be true. Oh yeah, Tom was never going to tell anyone. And Tom is like, ain't I a stinker? And then the book is over. I'm the father of a little boy with a very stinkery face. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I want a bunch of little stinkers in my books, you know? Yeah. I don't want stinkers in my books. I got a stinker in my house, so I have to live with every day who's making that little stinker face at me every time he's a stinker. It's a really good face. <laughs> uh, send us your thoughts, you, the listener, about Huck Finn, about stinkers. About Ron Howard movies, whatever you want. OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter um, at OverduePod. Thanks to Kelsey, Judith, Derek, Alex Wellerhand, Carl, Natasha, Woody, Carol, Darwin, Karen, Colleen, Tom, Robert, and many more for reaching out in the last few weeks. Thanks to Nick Lorandis, who composed our theme. Thank you, Andrew, for reading a book and talking to me about it. Of course. Always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Just go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read, the books that we are going to read, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Apple, Google, our RSS feed. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Uh, we have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash OverduePod. Our, normally we would have the month schedule up. We have not uh, figured out June's schedule yet, but I think as soon as we hang up on this recording, we're going to figure it out. Yep. So go to, we don't have another book to tell you right now, but... No, I do, can tell you, I'm going to be reading uh, wow. the, the Water Dancer by ta Coates for next week. Are you now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's news to me. We already figured that part out. It's the rest of the month we hadn't figured out. <laughs> Sorry to spring that <laughs> right, on you, well, my bad. Yeah, so go check the uh, the site and our social feeds for the books that we're going to read in June. Yep. I think that's it. Thank you for coming with us down the river oh, yeah. on this episode of Overdue. Which one are you, right? Andrew? Are you the Duke or the King? Oh, I'm the King. I'll be the Duke. Yeah, you're the Duke. Duke's up. I mean, I think I'm a th- I'm the Huck Finn. That's it's the more mm. the more interesting question is who's the Huck and who's the Tom? Because I think I'm the Huck and you are the Tom Sawyer, but I think that's a birth order thing more than it is anything. Like you're the little baby. Your little baby but golden is Tom child. Sawyer the baby though? He is I mean No. In he is baby. He is baby, but he's not the he's not younger than Huck. They're roughly the same age, but he's baby. 
And Huck has had to grow up more because of his circumstances. Yeah, but I just I I am not a Tom Sawyer. That's the problem. Why are you a Huck Finn though? I don't no, know I'm not a Huck. Finn. I wouldn't necessarily think of you as a Huck Finn. But I'm if you had to pick one. I think I want to just be Huck Finn with to, you. If, we could both be Huck Finn. You be Huck, I'll be Finn. <laughs> I will allow it, but only because Tom Sawyer made me so mad at the end of this book. Okay, everybody. Thanks for for coming with us on this journey. And until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. was a headgum podcast.